I'm back from the woods. Welcome back. You made it. I survived it. Were there any mosquitoes? Actually, it wasn't very buggy at all. No ticks? I checked for ticks like it was my job. Because you you know, I, I told you I brought a tick home from North Carolina during spring break this year. So I'm being you, you, extra vigilant about the ticks. Was the, was the tick that you brought home from North Carolina a North Carolinan tick? Yes, it likes... Southern barbecue with a vinegar sauce. <laughs> and it speaks with an accent. And it, hi, everybody. Welcome to the 23 Podcast. Michael here with Father Herb, our second to last episode. And I was just telling Michael, I figured it out. Yeah. At 23 minutes each time. Yes. And this is session 249. Uh-huh. When we reached 250 podcast sessions that's you call them sessions i was yes we have we have historically called them sessions that then, episode seemed like that was too much of a promise okay it was gonna <laughs> the sessions a, a episode okay sounded, when we reach 250 sessions we which will is have next week we will have spoken to each other 5750 minutes on the air that's great Oh, I don't know. I can't speak for you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and think of all the informal conversations we've had. Yeah, about five minutes of that. They, they're, <laughs> they're about two to three minutes. We, we try to do everything in twos and threes. Yeah. Well, the truth is, we've been recording, and I don't know when we started this, we've been recording uh, two sessions at a time, mm-hmm. and with only about uh, three minutes in between the sessions. Yeah. So if you start adding up all that in-between time. It's, it's all the informal things. But anyway, this has been great fun. We'll, so you better tell people about the woods. You were, you and your family were at Hocking uh, Hills? We went down to Hocking Hills uh, earlier. Well, by the time people hear this, last week we were down at Hocking Hills. It's great. You know, every time I, I'm there, this was my second or third time, I actually didn't remember much of it because it had been quite a few years. But it's otherworldly. I mean, it is just like stepping into... It first of all, it's hard to believe it's in Ohio. It it's I, and I kept thinking about the first people that were just walking through the Ohio woods and then came across these rocks and caves and things like that. It is yeah. just incredible. Well, you you and I both discovered. Well, we discovered that you and I both love Conco's Howl. Yeah, and we were surprised that, that we, we agreed. both uh, love them. Yeah, it's uh, incredible. And I love the taking the the hike around the rim mm-hmm. which is pretty high I, I call it um the midwest version of the grand canyon oh is that what it looks like from up there yes it is that's cool. except that you could you're right you're right on the edge a few places yeah if i had a couple of daughters with me i probably wouldn't have gone up there that's why we opted not to but then if you take the walk down the center of the canyon which you did through the gorge. The last time I was there, I kept thinking any minute now I'm going to see a T-Rex come out of the woods. It just seemed like <laughs> you said otherworldly. It really does seem that way. Yeah, we were, I was with my good friend, Chris, uh, well, parishioner here, future priest in two years. And Conkles Hollow is also his favorites. And it, it, we were both joking. It's almost like stepping into Avatar, the world from Avatar. It okay, just, now you say, you say Avatar, I say Jurassic Park. Both both good examples, I yeah. would say. There was at one point, we were standing down there, and you know the rocks get so high, it really did for a moment, especially the color of the coloration of the rock, it reminded me of being in Yosemite, which that's no small 
comparison. Boy, that's quite a comparison. I have not been to Yosemite. I I never get to travel anywhere. <laughs> no. no. Yeah. How many countries have you been to? Well, more than the United States. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say. Anyway, it was a great week. We had a lot of fun, and uh, but and this is to me an ideal time to get away because go away during the week, stay in the state, do something great. I didn't. I'm back up for the weekend. You trying to you trying to rhyme? Oh no, I wasn't. But I did do something great. But I don't have to miss mass, which is nice. Now I'm back for the weekend. Let's do it. Okay, that's great. All right. So this uh, this week we're getting ready for uh, Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi is Latin for the body of Christ, and now in English they say the body and blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. But Corpus Christi has a wonderful tradition somewhere, and I don't know how far back this began, but it was still going on when I was a kid, and I think it came pretty much from the German countries where on on Corpus Christi mm-hmm. in Sunday afternoon— we would have a procession outside and have three or four altars set up. And so it would begin with something like we'd have a service in church. Now, this was not Mass. Mass was in the morning. So this was Sunday afternoon. We would have a service that included perhaps the benediction mm-hmm. of the Blessed Sacrament. And then the monstrance would be carried outside. And we'd go down the street. In procession. In procession. And there were one, two, maybe three outside altars set up. Mm-hmm. And at each one, we would stop and have some, the monstrance would be placed somewhere. There would be uh, adoration. We'd sing a tantum ergo once again mm-hmm. and a blessing with the Blessed Sacrament and then go on to the next station. Now, obviously in church, there was a pipe organ. Yes. You didn't bring that outside? No, we did not. That's unfortunate. They had uh, a little local band, not a high school marching band, a little local band. Yeah. And you have never heard anything until you have heard Tantum Ergo played on an Oompa Bob band. Oh, like a polka band? (laughs) It was sort of like that, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Some of the the, the tuba and maybe a a, a trumpet or a a trombone or something. I feel like that takes away a little bit of the... The mystery of it. Oh no, it was very mysterious. <laughs> but <laughs> That's it, great. Uh, it was going on when I was a kid, and I can remember it maybe into high school. There are parishes that do will be well, doing it's them been, this It's weekend, been resurrected. Yeah. yeah, we did one recently in the last couple of years at Central Catholic High School. You know, I go there for mass during the week. Yeah, and usually we alternate with the students mass three times a month, and maybe Eucharistic at eucharistic adoration once a month but taken during the same time period on wednesdays and father kid decided to have a eucharistic procession at the school but he brought i think i showed you pictures of it at the time uh the largest monstrance i've ever seen in my entire life which was brought here to the u.s by one of our indian priests uh that is working here in the diocese of toledo it must have been six feet tall i mean it was the it it took four people just to help carry it it was the biggest thing i've ever seen in my entire life i have seen some large ones in europe especially in um in cathedrals yeah no this it was it was unlike anything i've ever seen and i just thought well if you're gonna do it might as well do it big if you're gonna be outside (laughs) (laughs) but it, it was so big and heavy two people had to hold up father kids arms while he was carrying it 
That's very biblical. That's almost like when Moses was praying. Yeah, yeah, yeah that is true. I didn't think about that. Okay, let's let's go into. Well, we are talking about the Eucharist. We are, but the, well, let me just ask this. Yeah, I think sometimes I've struggled. I'll be very candid with this. I've struggled with something like a Eucharistic procession because Jesus didn't say, "Take this and process with it outside." This is my body. He said, "Take this." Well, that was the point I was going to make. Oh, good. Thank you. We are on the same wavelength. The idea of having adoration of the Blessed Sacrament is very secondary. Mm-hmm. Now, I know some of our younger people, when they go on some of the retreats um, or the weekend encounters, uh, they're very moved by the way Eucharistic adoration takes place. Sure. How, however, it's very privatized. It's like a private prayer whereas the celebration of the Eucharist at Mass is a very communal prayer. Mm -hmm. And the tradition of celebrating Mass and receiving communion back a couple centuries ago kind of gave way to adoration, partly because people felt they were not worthy to receive communion. Mm -hmm. They were not receiving communion. In fact, even when I was a child, most people did not receive communion at most Masses. Mm. And certainly... Uh, part of it was because you had to fast from like midnight. Some people even said there was a time when you fasted from the day before. I don't remember that. But we had to fast from midnight. And then it was uh, limited to just three hours. But so people were planning to receive communion. They would receive it the very first Mass on Sunday morning. Because they were hungry. I, no. Yeah. Well, <laughs> actually, uh, yeah, because, you know, they felt like they couldn't go too long without eating breakfast. Yeah. Also, it was a farm community. Many people were up early. Right. They were sunrise people. Well, they maybe even before that during the winter because you had to milk the cows. So uh, there was another reason is that people felt you should not receive communion unless you had just gone to confession the day before. Mm -hmm. So consequently, that's when the church started to encourage communion more often. They would have the uh, communion breakfast. So they're like there would be a special time once a month mm-hmm. when people were encouraged to go to communion at mass yeah. and then they would have a breakfast for the people afterwards. That's good. Calling and, it communion breakfast put some weird images in my head. I'm not even going to, if seal scenes blasphemous. But, but it, it might be one week for the, uh, for the men and another time for the women or something like they did different types of things. And sometimes at the breakfast, they'd have a special speaker. Yeah. It was, it was actually kind of cool. Uh, but that was, that was going on. So there were a lot of things, but part of it was people refrained from receiving, so they just looked on and gazed on at the Eucharist. And the word monstrance, like you talk about the five-foot monstrance, yeah. comes from the Latin word mostrare, which means to show. Right. It was simply a, a, an ornate implement in which you could put the large host so people could uh, adore the host. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I feel that we are getting a little out of whack when we put so much emphasis on adoring the host and then we don't even re- realize how incredibly beautiful it is to receive Jesus right. at the Eucharist. Well, I, we've had these discussions before, you know, in back when I was a youth minister, but really... Yeah, yeah you and I ha- have had these discussions. But these not, were the but, informal... But, but in, you know, in... 5,727 minutes, uh, we have not talked about this before. No, and I'll keep it brief, but I would take, you know, I would take students to conferences where, as you were alluding to earlier, there would be these 
wonderfully beautiful, prayerful services of Eucharistic adoration on Saturday night, and kids would be crying and praying, and they would process around with the monstrance, and there was music, and it was a very emotional, as you would say, privatized in some way, but still in in the context of a large gathering of people event. And then the next morning we would have mass, and because it's mass, the kids couldn't care less. And it's and I kept thinking, this is the same Jesus in the Eucharist. In fact, it's it's active versus passive. Right. So th- there is definitely a disconnect. It's not it's not necessarily discounting the power of prayer in adoration, but I think catechetically we have to be able to teach people that mass is always more. Okay. May I use that as a segue into the gospel? Let's because it. it's about feeding the crowd, and Jesus didn't say. Here, let's look at the loaves and fishes. <laughs> By the way, we're that, getting, we're getting a little feisty in this I second know, to last episode. Uh, fe- feeding the crowd, by the way, yeah, uh, is found in all four gospels. Yes, the only the only miracle that is besides the resurrection, correct? Yeah, but actually, there's even six episodes of it in the four gospels because two of the gospels have feeding the crowd of 4,000 and feeding the crowd of 5,000. Oh. So uh, so it, it's very co- common to hear the story, and that's part of the danger because we hear the story a lot. Right. The other thing about it, though, is it's really not meant to be just taken about feeding the crowd or a great miracle. It is Eucharistic in nature. Mm-hmm. It's always calling us to talk about the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. So would you like to do the honors Sure. Uh, and I will read the last part where it starts with, and then he said. Okay. And uh, for those of you following along, we're in Luke chapter 9. And even if they're not following along, we're still, we are still in Luke <laughs> chapter 9. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus spoke to the crowds about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed to be cured. As the day was drawing to a close, the twelve approached him and said, Dismiss the crowd so that they can go to the surrounding villages and farms and find lodging and provisions, for we are here in a deserted place. He said to them, Give them some food yourselves. They replied, Five loaves and two fish are all we have, unless we ourselves go and buy food for all these people. Now the men were numbered about five thousand. Then he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty. They did so and made them all sit down. Then taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he said the blessing over them, broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. And when the leftover fragments were picked up, they filled 12 wicker baskets. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I just love that. Five loaves and two fish, and then the leftovers filled 12 baskets. Now, there's a lot of symbolism there. I was going to ask, with 12. 12. You know, the 12 tribes of Israel. Yes. uh, The 12 apostles, 12. Those are the two I was thinking. Yeah, those are the images of completion. The 12 stations. No, I'm just kidding. No, there's 14 (laughs) stations. Not when you were in Canada at the the border check. 12, 12 times 12. 144,000. Uh, Just 144. Well, the 12 times 12,000 is 100. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's mentioned in the book of Revelation. 
Oh, it is. Uh, yeah, oh. that those who will be saved. Great. I need so to. So there's a lot. I need to catch up on Revelation. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Jesus is out there feeding the crowd. I, I love. Well, before he feeds them, he preaches and he heals. Mm -hmm. So we have, you know, the the preaching, the the teaching, the talking. Yeah. The healing, the ministry, mm -hmm. and then the feeding. Oh, I was thinking besides the healing, although I think sometimes people are healed during mass. Uh, it's almost like a little mini mass. I'm sure there was a little bit of scripture he he taught, and then there was. Yeah, you're talking I mean, about liturgy of the word, liturgy yeah. of the Eucharist, of yeah. course. Uh, I, there's also this wonderful passage. They're hungry, and he says, "Let's do something." What dismiss the crowds? And he said, "No, feed them yourselves." Yeah, I love that. Feed them yourselves. He's a little direct there. Yeah. It, he's, on one hand, he's saying, okay, we've got the means. On the other hand, he's saying, where else should we send people? Uh, they're not going to get the same thing as they, they get here. Mm -hmm. our, our ministry is always outreach. We have to have outreach to be uh, Christian. Mm -hmm. We can't just say we're a praying people. We're praying people who's, who are also doing people. Yeah. I was, uh, actually, while we were in Hocking Hills, uh, my friend and I were talking quite a bit about, you know, just different aspects of parish life and church life and seminary. And he was just uh, finishing his internship year down at St. Michael's in Finley and had a wonderful time at that parish. Uh, and then we got on to this new diocesan capital campaign that's happening. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't aware of this, but a large major majority, it, maybe that's the wrong word, a large chunk of the money being raised in the capital campaign is going to help places like St. Louis Helping Hands. Oh, yes. And that, to me, is huge, that we're not just raising money to fix the cathedral or... There are like uh, five areas, and uh, one of the areas definitely includes the outreach. Yeah, and, and that is, it's so mission-oriented into who we are as church, just as the same as our parish doing the Habitat for Humanity House this summer, um, or even in our core values as parish, reverence, hospitality, invitation, and the last being outreach, that when this parish was formed, we wanted Perrysburg, Toledo, you name it, to be different because we exist, because we're making a difference in the community. So, so the it leads then into the feeding, and the feeding is used as the reading for Corpus Christi. So it's not the account of the Last Supper, but rather Jesus feeding the crowd. Mm -hmm. And picking up on the line that you just said, uh, outreach and give of yourselves. If you go to this place in in Israel, and I've been there, they. Uh, Talk have, about traveling. I know they have a, a <laughs> they have a there's a church of course there's a churches at every little place. Yeah, but there's a mosaic on the floor, and on the mosaic you see the two fish, one on each side, and in the middle is, is a basket, mm -hmm. and in the basket you can count the loaves of fish. So our guide said, "How many loaves of fish do you? Or, I'm sorry, how many loaves of bread do you see?" Mm -hmm. And we all counted one, two, three, four. He said. Okay, in the in the gospel passage, how many loaves of bread were there? And we said five. Where is the fifth loaf? <laughs> this is like where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Yeah, and somebody said right away, "Oh, it's at the it's at the bottom. It's in a basket. It's not visible." And the guide <laughs> said, "No, that's not it. Remember, this is symbolic." Yeah, 
And finally, he, he said, the artist who made this mosaic said, we are the, the loaf. We are the fifth loaf. Feed them yourselves. Yeah, feed them yourself. And not just feed them yourself like you get out there and find the food, but give them of yourselves. Mm -hmm. So real outreach is not just doing something, but putting yourself at the disposal of someone else. Sure. Well, and that's sometimes the harder thing to do. You know, back to, you know, any of maybe our Catholic Charities organizations, it's easy to refer people to, oh, well, if you need something, there's already something in place that can help you. But it takes more of yourself, more giving of yourself to be the person that extends the hand and actually does it yourself. I want, to, I want to quickly go on when Jesus has the people sit down, and then it says, he, he took the five loaves and the two fish. Now, the next line is extremely important. And looking up to heaven, he said the blessing, broke them, and gave them to the disciples to give to the crowd. Mm -hmm. So, looked up to heaven, the blessing, the breaking, and the giving. Talk about Eucharist. Well, I, th it was almost like a rehearsal for the Last Supper. Yeah. Yeah. And and those are, of course, remember, this was actually scribed by Luke after the Last Supper. You know, of course, it was, it was not written down while this was going on. Sure. Luke wrote this later on. So he certainly knew that the Last Supper had taken place. And we also see this again on the road to Emmaus. Yeah, yes. The same ritual. The same thing. And we see it every time we go to Mass. You look up to heaven, you call down the Holy Spirit, and you ask, Lord, bless and transform this bread into your own presence. All right, friends, we hope you'll join us this weekend for the Corpus Christi, and uh, we'll see you at Mass this weekend. One episode to go. Oh, are you looking forward to it? I always look forward to my time with you. Uh, you mean the final one. <laughs> see you guys. Bye.